This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Behind the Line podcast, where we discuss all things related to the Super Retriever series. Hey, everybody, I'm your host, David Hamilton, and my guest today is not only a competitor, but also an SRS board member, Leo Joseph III. And ladies and gentlemen, we are excited to have Leo on the show today. Before we get started with him, of course, we have to thank our sponsor, Yukonuba. Yukonuba is the sponsor of the Super Retriever Series Crown Championship and the Behind the Line podcast. If you want to get the most out of your dog in your training sessions, you need nutrition that holds nothing back. Yukonuba's premium performance lineup is built with the nutrients that dogs need to help unleash their maximum potential. That starts with providing energy that matches their efforts, supporting optimal nutrient delivery, and supporting post-exercise recovery. Check out the Yukonuba Premium Performance lineup and find your dog's fuel at yukonubasportingdog.com. As I mentioned a few moments ago, my guest today is Leo Joseph. If you follow the Super Retriever Series game closely, or even if you're just a casual fan, you probably know Leo. He is a competitor, and he is also on our board. We'll talk about all of that with Leo today. Leo, first of all, thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule to chat with us today. Man, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be on here. Um, I like what y'all do. I think this is an important part of the game just to keep everybody tied in. Uh, so hopefully some people can get some good out of this like I've gotten out of some of your uh, past podcasts. Awesome, man. Well, we are super stoked to have you on here. Let's start it off with uh, some easy softball questions for you. So uh, tell us a little background about yourself, Leo. Tell us where you're from, uh, you know, how you got involved with dogs, and we'll go from there. I'm from Natchez, Mississippi. I've always hunted and uh, been active outdoors. I grew up showing horses. I actually won a world and a national championship showing horses. Um Ended up going to law school, practiced law for a few years, and got into dogs through duck hunting. I uh, wanted a good duck dog and ended up having a really good one. Uh, really just fell in love with the training, the art of it, and the science of it. 
and just one thing led to another and I'm not really sure how I went from an attorney that enjoyed tra- training dogs in my spare time to a full-time dog trainer but here we are what'd you learn from uh showing horses and what'd you learn from being a lawyer that helps you today as a full-time dog trainer well showing horses you know my mentor main mentor i had a lot of my main mentors showing horses were the barry hills um leonard barry hill is an excellent hand with a horse and one thing that i always admired about him a lot of trainers i could walk up to the arena and watch people warming up and I could tell who trained what horses just by the the mannerisms of the horse the way they acted with Leonard it it wasn't that way he was such a natural horseman that the the horse didn't lose what God gave it through the way that he trained it and I always strive to be that kind of dog trainer Um, obviously there's certain parameters they have to perform within but I really want my dogs to have a lot of personality and I, I want them to still be the dog that they were. And I, I'm just trying to, to bring out and refine what God already put there. Who's more stubborn, opposing counsel in a courtroom or uh, some of the dogs you've trained? <laughs> I've trained some pretty stubborn dogs, but I, I've seen some pretty stubborn lawyers too. So that, that's a good question. Let's talk about the name of your uh, kennel, Rivertown Retrievers. You said you're from Natchez. I'm assuming that has something to do with uh, you picking that name. That's right. Rivertown Retrievers. Um, the piece of property that the kennels own has actually been in my family for a while. Uh, I grew up right on the Mississippi River. Uh, my parents' house sits overlooking the river, and I've hunted and fished and played all along the river, so uh, it was only appropriate to include that in the kennel name. You touched on it briefly how you got started in training dogs, but when you first started, you were an amateur competitor. So, uh, you know, how'd you get started in the SRS? Well, when I first started training dogs, I, I've got a buddy, Noah Wilson. He was really into dogs. I wasn't near as into it as he was. And he literally drugged me to my first Super Retriever Series event. Um, he really wanted to go. So Jared Moffat, Noah, and myself loaded up and went to that event. Um, Noah was really gung-ho about it. And I was just kind of along for the ride. And little did I know that I, that I was going to just fall in love with the game from there. Uh, went to that first event, didn't do well, but I, I kind of knew coming into it that my dogs weren't where they needed to be to compete on that level. And so I, I went, I learned, and I came back a year later, and my second event was actually the same event, Pepper's Pond, one year later, uh, and I actually won that event. So we, we hit the ground running. How do you think you had such improvement from year one to year two? One thing is I was extremely fortunate with the people I was able to meet. Uh, Barry Lines helped me a lot, and Rick Mock is a very accomplished amateur field trialer, and he was living right here in Natchez at the time. He helped me a whole lot. Uh, Both of those guys helped me. That covers kind of the hunt test and the field trial side of SRS. Um and they man they helped me a lot and i I worked at it tirelessly (laughs) i I feel bad for those dogs um the the amount of time that i was able to spend training them fortunately i had dogs that that enjoyed training and could take a lot of training because i'm telling you we turned in some hours practice makes perfect for sure uh what's your advice for people maybe who are just getting into the game 
because, uh, you know, Super Retriever Series, you kind of touched on it there for a second, is unique in that it combines so many different skills to really show, you know, who are the top dogs. So some people may come in with a field trial background and they're having to learn how to do a hunt test, or maybe they come from the hunt test world and they're not as familiar with the white coat part of the competition. And so they have to, you know, up that level of their game. So if, if somebody comes, they're interested in the sport, but maybe they come from from one background over the other. What's your advice to them to get better at the other part? Focus on the small things. Um, we spend a lot of time talking about how different SRS is or how different hunt tests and field trials are. But at the end of the day, you need a dog that will watch a mark all the way to the ground and remember where it is. It will cast well. It sits sharp on the whistle when you blow the whistle. It doesn't mind going through or tight to old falls. Uh, runs great blinds, lines well. You know, if you focus on these things and not on some of the organized confusion that SRS likes to throw at you, um, you're going to be successful. I think we can get carried away. You know, you get to an event and they want the dog to send off of a stand and everybody looks at the stand and go, oh, no, you know, that's a blue stand. My dog's been jumping off a red stand. Well, that, that really doesn't matter to the dog, most likely. Uh, just expose your dog to as many things as you can and, and just constantly remember to focus on the small things and everything else will, will work itself out. When you first started in this game, you, you spoke about it a few minutes ago. You were an attorney by living, and this was kind of your hobby on the side. And then you made that career shift into being a, a professional dog trainer. Um, when and, and where did you decide that, that you wanted to change and make this your, your career and not just your hobby? There, there never was really just a, a defining moment. It's something that just naturally and gradually happened. It was very organic. Um, I definitely loved the sport. I, I loved spending time with the dogs and learning from them as I taught them. And it, it just naturally started taking more and more of my time. When I first decided to become a professional, it was when we, uh, my wife and I were fixing to welcome our daughter to the world. And I realized that I had a hobby that was consuming a lot of my time. So I, I decided rather than focusing on really high-end personal retrievers, I was going to train gun dogs for a few people. That way it was kind of helping the family and I could keep doing what, what I love doing. And I was just going to take five or six dogs. Well, there was a local attorney that, man, he, he had done so much for me. And I was full. I, I had six kennels and I had six dogs in them. I was training them before and after work. And on the weekends, and he called and he said, Leo, I've got a dog I, I need you to train for me. And I said, man, I'm, I'm full. And, and actually, I'm full for a long time. I've got a waiting list. And he said, well, let me bring her out there and let you look at her. So he brings his dog out there and um, he, you know, I, I mess with the dog a little bit and we talk. And I said, look, I, I know a guy down the road he'll take her, you know, everything will be good. And when we finished, he said, Leo, I don't think you understand what I'm telling you. I want you to train my dog. And if you don't train my dog, nobody's going to train my dog because I don't know anybody else well enough to trust them with my dog. That's why I want you to train it because I know you, I trust you, and I know you're going to be honest with me. 
And man, it just crushed me because this guy had been so good to me. Um, and I said, I'm sorry, but I, I just, I can't do you a good job. I don't even have the kennel space. So I, I had a kid working for me at the time that was wanting to get into training. And when I left that afternoon, I, man, I, I was, I was pretty beat up and I went home and talked to my wife and we made the decision to add kennel space, um, spend some money up it to 20 kennels and hire this young man. And we also hired Rick Mock, who had been my mentor until that time to come in and train a few dogs and to mentor this kid. So I could keep training the dogs I was training. And then Rick and this young man could, could start bringing more dogs along. We built 20 kennels, but we only upped another four or six dogs. Um, and then it, it just continued to grow from there. Um, ended up hiring more trainers and eventually I, I went full time. And what year was that? That was around 2016. Okay. Okay. That's right. What have you learned over that five, six year time period? Oh man, I, I've learned a tremendous amount about dogs, a tremendous amount about people. Um, one thing that fascinates me, uh, is just how many different types of people end up playing this dog game and for how many different reasons um obviously i got into it because i was a a hunter and and i wanted a good duck dog um and and a lot of people do get into it for those reasons but there's a lot of people that just love dogs and when they realize how fascinating and how intelligent these dogs are that they become consumed by it they don't have any interest in duck hunting they just love the dogs and love the game um, so that, that's probably been the neatest thing is just seeing what brings different people into this game. And 2022 has been quite an impressive year for you, man. You've, you've won some events, you've qualified some dogs for the crown. Just recap it for us, man. 2022 has treated you well so far. Yeah, man. 2022 has been so good. Um, I've really been blessed. I, I've caught the breaks I need to. Um, and you know, the dogs, I've got some really talented dogs. Um, they came through for me when I needed them. We started the year out, uh, running in South Alabama down at Michael Demers place. Um, I was able to come away with a win at that event with Gus, which qualified him for the crown. Gus is a a big black male, um, really nice dog, really fun to be around, uh, my dad actually owns Gus, so I get to hunt Gus uh, during the year with him. And uh, a lot of fun to hunt, a lot of fun to be around, and really talented. He actually he won that event, and uh, he got two more seconds and a third as well. He won. He ran six events. He had a first, two seconds, and a third, and then two of them uh he did not play so he ended up second for team of the year so gus had a a fantastic year um he averaged 3.3 points a start um so his year was great the second event we ran was lake charles louisiana hope actually got second at that event uh, which qualified her for the crown um that, that was a really fun event. Had a, a really neat second series where you had to jump a, a black pipe, man, and none of the dogs really wanted to do it. And it was like Hope saw it from the line and, and knew that's what she was supposed to do. That kind of got her back in the 
in the mix. And then our third event, we ran in Paris, Texas. That was actually a new event for SRS this year. Uh, and if anybody didn't go to that event, the grounds out there are fantastic at Keith Hall's place. Um, that, that was a really fun event. Um, actually, a, another board member judged it. Um, Larry McMurray was one of the judges. And, oh, Larry, he is a Houdini with where to put the birds. He always puts really nice tests together, got really good bird placement. And we were fortunate enough at that event to come away with a first with Hope and a second with Gus. Um, so that really enjoyed that. Was, was glad to get out of there with that. The next weekend, we ran a meat river, uh, and actually Moon, who's owned by Jared Moffitt and has been with our program from the very beginning, she uh, came away with a win. Then we ran an event in North Mississippi, and Moon won that one as well, and she had just been bred two weeks earlier. Uh, so I, I tell Shannon, her puppy should be qualified for the crown as well. <laughs> And after that, we went to Nebraska, and that was actually the only event we ran this year where we didn't get a top six placement. And then we, we finished out the year at Amy River where Gus got second at that event. Man, it has been one heck of a year. You've got to be excited headed into the crown, knowing that, you know, it looks like everything's been going your way, and if you can just keep that momentum a little bit longer. I mean, multiple dogs qualified, that's obviously got to keep you excited. What would it mean for you to win the crown? Man, I, I would love to win a crown championship. Um, I, I would really love it for the dogs. I feel like all three of the dogs I've got qualified are, are capable of winning a crown championship. Um, they, they're really nice dogs. Um, I, I would just be tickled for them and for their client, for their owners. Uh, you know, the clients and the owners, they, they put a lot into this game. They're really what, what keeps everything ticking. Um, so I, I would, I would love to hand one of the owners a, uh, SRS crown championship trophy that, that would be really sweet. All right, man. Well, we're pulling for you. We're talking to Leo Joseph from Rivertown Retrievers. Leo, we're about to shift the conversation over to your spot on the SRS board. First, we want to, again, thank our sponsor. Take a quick second here to thank you, Canuba. If you want to get everything your dog's got, you need nutrition that holds nothing back help unleash your dog's maximum potential check out all the offerings from yukonuba premium performance at yukonubasportingdog.com as i mentioned a moment ago you're talking to leo joseph one of our professional dog trainer and competitors here at the srs but leo is also on the board uh, i think that's something that a lot of people know exists right obviously all the rules and regulations come from the board but they may not exo- know exactly what goes into that, how y'all come up with the new rules each year, how y'all bring new events onto the schedule. So let's talk a few minutes to talk about that. Let's uh, first, just an easy question. Give us an overview of what's the role and responsibilities of the board. So the board comes up with uh, the rules and enforces the rules. Um, It's, you know, the rules, most of what we do is centered around trying to keep the rules so that each event is designed to reward good dog work. You know, you want your rules to be written so that judges and marshals have the tools that they need available to them so that they can evaluate the dogs. And at the end of the weekend, the dog that does the best work comes away with the win. 
are the rules revised as the year goes along? Are they revised once a year before the season starts, or is it a combination of those two? The rules are, if any rule is changed, it's done between seasons. So it would be done after the crown championship. We want to run a complete year with a set of rules. <clears throat> and then at the end of that year, change rules and, and start the new year. If there are any changes, sometimes there aren't any changes. During the year, the board is primarily tasked with if there are any disciplinary issues, dealing with that, which that's rare, and just making decisions on gray areas. Uh, we try to keep the rule book pretty objective, but from time to time there's something that comes up that, that's going to fall into a gray area, and we have to uh, make a decision on that. This year, there were originally 28 events on the schedule. Uh, a lot of them were able to still run. You even mentioned a new one a minute ago out in Paris, Texas. But I know there were a couple other that were canceled due to low entry. Um, those may try again to, to host an event next year. But what are some of the things that uh, the SRS and especially the board is doing to help educate clubs on you know, how they can put on a successful event and make sure that they have enough people uh, enter for it to be a worthwhile event? The main thing, it's really not the board, it's really Shannon. <laughs> Shannon's got a sheet that when you sign up to have an event, she sends to you. It talks to you about approaching other clubs, um, trying to strike up interest in your area. You know, the best way to put on an event is to have enough people locally that want to come run. And then <clears throat> the normal people that are kind of on the SRS cir uh, circuit, you want them to be the icing on the cake. Um, if you get some of the pros to come bring eight dogs, you know, that's good. But the best case scenario is, is that you've got your 20 pros and 10 AMs local. So, you know, you're going to be able to make that event. So, uh, the club, Shannon really encourages the clubs to go out and get local sponsors as well as talk to people in their area that maybe run SRS or maybe they hadn't run SRS yet, but they're interested and try to strike up as much interest among that group as you can and those events hosted by clubs throughout the year obviously qualify uh dog and handler teams to compete in the crown let's talk about points and titles we'll start with points uh you mentioned a moment ago that like for example with yourself you said that gus this year in every event he entered had a you know average 3.3 points uh per entry can you talk us through the points how points are earned and then specifically you know how many points you need to to qualify for the crown so if you place first through six, you get points. First place receives six points. Sixth place receives one point. Um, it's a pretty easy point system to follow. You need four points to qualify for the crown championship. So a first through third third at any event is going to automatically qualify you for the crown. That's right. Or you could get four sixth places. Got it. Makes perfect sense. Uh, let's talk about titles through UKC. Yeah, that's a really big thing. Uh, Shannon teamed up with UKC a few years ago, and now a dog on the open side needs a win and 10 points, and they receive an open title on the amateur side. It's a win, and I believe 12 points to receive that title. Um, it hadn't been a long, around that long, but you're starting to see those titles pop up more. You're starting to see more breedings that include dogs with those titles. Um, that that was a really big accomplishment for her to uh, to have to be listed on a registry like that, um, and, and I think that 
that's encouraged a lot of people to come on board and, and try to get those titles. Absolutely. hundred percent agree with you there. All right. One more thing when talking about points, titles, et cetera, let's talk about Yukonuba team of the year. How do people uh, win the Yukonuba team of the year? So team of the year uses the same point system that we were just talking about that you use to qualify for the crown and that you use to, um, to get your title. And it, it runs on the calendar year, well, up to the crown championship. So between the first event of that qualifying year and the last event of that qualifying year, not including the crown championship, dogs accrue points at each event. We were talking about Gus earlier and the placements he got. He accrued 20 points during the year. So the overall high point dog is the Yukonuba team of the year. And you have it on the pro side and the amateur side. And people can also keep track of those results live after every single event on the website, superretrieverseries.com. One more thing I wanted to talk to you about and get your perspective, both as a competitor and as a board member, is something we started a couple of years ago, SRS University, trying to get more college students, and particularly some younger people interested in the sport, uh, interested to hear your thoughts about SRS University and the future of SRS with the next generation. Yeah, SRS University is an idea Shannon came up with. Um, it, she's put a lot of time and effort into it and it's starting to take off. Uh, I know that every, it's one of those events that it's hard to get people to participate so far. It hadn't been just a huge event, but every competitor that does it and every person that's participated in it has just extremely high reviews. They all enjoy it. They all enjoy being there. Um, I actually have not had a client that would participate yet. I hadn't been able to find a collegiate competitor, but I would love to find one um, because it sounds like it's just a great thing. Most of the people that have run it actually end up running in other events as well. They'll go run a, a normal event, a normal qualifying event as an amateur, uh, just because once they start running that event, they it kind of gets in their blood. Young competitors, you heard it here first. If you want to compete and want Leo to be your advisor on that, man, reach out to him, drop in his DMs on Facebook and say, hey, I want to, I want to work with you on this. Leo, uh, speaking of giving guidance to people, you and Stephen Durrance held a joint seminar a few weeks back. Uh, tell us about that, why y'all decided to have that seminar and what was the goal of it? Man, that that's something we've been talking about for a while. Um and we were finally able to get it together and pick out a date that worked for both of us. Uh, we feel like with any game that you play, you know, the, the key to making it grow is to spread as much information about it as you can. Um, there are a lot of people out there that fall into a group that I feel like could be competitive at SRS. They just need, uh, if they just knew a little more about it, maybe they're not comfortable enough to come run. And I, I feel like doing seminars is a good way for people who are kind of in that group to come learn more about it, or even people that have been running it and just want to know more, to come out and get some just hands-on guidance and um, just good information about how the events run, what you should expect when you come to an event, how the scoring system works. We weren't sure how well the event would be received, we did 10 dog and handler teams, and they filled up almost immediately as soon as we posted the event. We ended up having about 20 or 25 spectators, 
So we, we had a really big event, uh, very well received and very well reviewed as well. I think everybody that came had a good time. Uh, Steve and I both enjoyed it. We were able to set up uh, four different scenarios for them to run. Uh, the 10 dog and handler teams ran it as Stephen and I judged and critiqued out loud. Um, by the end of it, I feel like most of the people were able to score really well. They really had a great working knowledge of our rule book and our scoring system. Um, so I, I enjoyed doing it and I feel like everybody that came definitely got their money's worth. So I hope that we are able to do that again soon because I, I think there's more demand out there for it. Absolutely. And you mentioned a moment ago, you said able to give real feedback. So someone like yourself has been playing this game a long time, professional handler. You probably know roughly what your score is going to be when you leave the line. Um, but for somebody who may not be as experienced, they may not know why they got penalized two points here or four points there. So to receive that feedback kind of out loud as you're scoring them, they not only get a final score, but they also kind of understand along the way where they made maybe some slight errors or some mistakes that they can correct moving forward. Yes. That, that's exactly right. Um, and we, we talked a little bit about strategy too. We didn't go too deep into strategy, but, but we talked about strategy some as well. Um, set up the test and we just ask the crowd, Hey, what, what do y'all think here? What, what do y'all think we're looking for? What do you think a, a judge would be looking for here? Where are the pitfalls of this test? Um, and man, uh, to be honest, the group we had, they were pretty sharp. They, <laughs> they saw a lot. Um, and like I said, by the end of the week, I, I feel confident that most everybody that was there could, uh, would make a pretty good SRS judge. Well, that's great to hear, man. So uh, a few weeks down the road here, the, the crown championship's going to be in Shreveport, Bossier city, Louisiana, uh, with the, starting off with the big hats and bow ties event. And then with the, you know, the, the event culminating over three, four day period, just tell us your thoughts of that location and, and uh, what you're looking forward to the most about the crown championship this year. Well, I, I really like the Shreveport Bossier area. Uh, it's a good place for the crown championship. From what I understand, there are plenty of grounds in that area to choose from. Last year, they really put all the bells and whistles out for us. Um, they just extremely hospitable area, and the, the town really threw some nice things for us. Uh, we start out with the big hats and bow ties, and, man, I, I love that. It's She calls it the owner's gala, and it's an event set up um, – all of the handlers and owners come and uh, have a big time. It ends with a banquet, but it's probably one of the only events, dog events, that takes time out to acknowledge the owners. And in some case, it's an owner handler. It may be an amateur or a pro running their own dog. Or in some case, I mean, some of these dogs have owners who never come to a dog event. They're at home cheering for the dog, but if, even if they come, they watch, but nobody really recognizes them or, or takes time out to, to tip their hat to them. And uh, Shannon goes out of her way to have the, the pink Yukonuba carpet rolled out for them, um, lots of pictures taken, and, and just take some time to acknowledge the owners and give them an opportunity to share the spotlight with their dog. Uh, and, man, to me, that is a, a very special event. Um, obviously the crown championship is the, uh, the biggest event of the year. So 
you know, we look forward to that. And, um, you know, I'll spend the next month just trying to, trying to prepare these dogs and, uh, and get them ready so that, uh, hopefully they can show what they can do. Hey man, best of luck to you. I know for sure that you're going to be giving it your best as is everyone else. And couldn't agree more on your assessment there of, uh, the event there on Tuesday, because, I think everybody knows that uh, that is a, an important event, like you said, to to take a moment to recognize the owners of many of these dogs. Before we let you get out of here, final five questions, rapid fire. We do this with everybody. I ask a question quickly. Answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. Uh, what's something about you most people don't know? Something about me most people don't know. Are you left-handed? Do you snore? You I snore, but I think everybody around me knows that. <laughs> that's a great answer man <laughs> we don't even need an answer to the original question i asked because that's a great answer on that one uh when i say retriever who's the first dog that comes to mind and why hope she is my personal dog she's qualified for the crown this year but i, I hunt with hope a lot and she was probably she was my second well she was my second lab I competed with, but she was the first one that uh, was a really serious competitor. If you had to describe yourself in one word, what would it be? Measured. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? And this might be a different question for you than most people because you've actually changed careers and became uh, a professional dog trainer after being an attorney. But is there anything else out there you'd want to try too? Man, I am right where I want to be. I, I don't want my wife to hear this and hear me say something else and think, oh, God, here we go. Perfect. Uh, you have a weekend to yourself, no dog games to compete in, nothing from work. You don't have to, you know, uh, do anything, no honey-do list, like cut the grass. How are you spending that time? I would hope that it's duck season and my wife, my daughter, Laura Lee, and myself can go to the hunting camp where – I can go out and kill a limit of mallards and uh, come back and enjoy a hot breakfast with them. That sounds like a wonderful day. And I hope that that comes to fruition here shortly. Leo Joseph is always great to chat with you. And thank you for being here on our podcast today. Good deal. Thank you. And thank you everyone at home that's listening to this episode of the behind the line podcast. I'm David Hamilton and we'll catch you next time.